Hi, this is The Sun Awards with me, Ed Horwich. Today we're featuring an interview with Paul Wenham Clark. A commercial and advertising photographer, Paul embarked on a two-year MA degree at Nottingham Trent University as a way of examining and pushing his photography a step further. His resulting final year exhibition projected him into an almost completely different way of earning a living as a commercial photographer as well as profoundly changing the type of work he now produces. So, what was that process like, and can others follow a similar model? I'm here in Leeds with Paul Wenham-Clark and his exhibition When Lives Collide. It's on its national tour and it's open here in Leeds tonight. First of all, just, just tell us a little bit about your background as a photographer and then uh, a little bit about when lives collide itself. Okay. I've been working as a commercial and advertising photographer for a long time, since um, 1987. Um, and I've done all kinds of uh, brochures and annual reports and adverts for different companies and, um, you know, specialising at different stages, once in still life and then now more in people. Um, and when lives collide really came about because I felt that I had more to offer than that, that I could perhaps do something with my photography that might be um, a bit more meaningful. I mean, I really enjoy doing commercial work and it's been great fun, but at the same time, after you've done that many years of it, sometimes you do long to do something that's a bit more important. Um, and then I also um, was looking at possibly doing a master's degree and somebody said to me that you could do an MA by project, which is where you come up with a project and present it to a university and if they think it's good enough to um, be used as a master's you go away and get on with it. It's, it's more complicated than that but that's basically it. And, um, and I approached um, Nottingham Trent University about that and they were, they were quite keen right from the start and that was quite good really for me because I had this, I wanted to do a major project and I thought what it was going to be about which um, I should say When Lives Collide is about uh, people who are victims of road crashes so they're either seriously injured or bereaved um, and I had this idea that I was, I was going to concentrate on that and I presented that idea to them and they were um, quite enthusiastic and I had to kind of formulate over what period of time I would do it and then I went away and got on with it and, um, and it was good to do it that way because it, it was a huge project to undertake and by doing it as an MA, you were kind of timetabling yourself. You had to do it by certain dates. And that, and that was good. That allowed, that sort of forced me to complete it. Was there any relationship between your commercial work? In fact, what, what, sort, of, what sort of clients did you have before? Was there any relationship between that and the, the, the way you, you approached the concept when you came up with the idea of when lives collide? Um, my commercial work is very, very different from When Lives Collide, I think, um, because uh, most of my commercial work is, um, you know, as I say, it's kind of, you know, slick, um, you know, fairly shallow on the meaning um, images. You know, you're, I do a lot of work for um, companies where you're doing like lifestyle images of all sorts of people with products and things like that. So, you know, it's just sort of representing stereotypes a lot of the time. Um, but... Um, I, I'd kind of done quite a bit of portraiture as something that I enjoyed doing as a, as like personal projects that had gone on. And I'd been doing that more and more as the years went on. Um, and I'd done several sort of projects on different parts of the country. And 
And then that's when I thought, well, I want this major project that I'm going to do to be mostly portraiture. Um, Where my commercial work did kind of come into it was that I also decided to do the road crash images. And those images are are just like big advertising shoots. I mean, they were like getting actors and makeup and locations and all those kind of things together. And to me, those were the were, were parts were jobs which were very similar to kind of jobs I've shot in the past. Whereas the portrait work was very different. Uh, in the portrait work, I um. I decided that when I photographed these people that I would do it so that their emotions came through. So it wouldn't be just walking in, I'm, you know, I want to photograph you because you're bereaved or seriously injured, stand there, light them, bang, bang, out the door. I wasn't going to do that. I was going to spend a lot of time getting to know them and I was going to spend a lot of time setting up and I was going to probably be with them for a day, each person, and I would have met them several times before. And the idea was that when I photographed them that I would talk to them about what happened so that the emotions of what would happen would come through in the photos. And in quite a lot, with, with about sort of a third of the people I photographed, they cried during the photo shoot. And that was like really difficult because, you know, you become, you become, you become almost like, um, you know, you, not a counsellor, but you're going that kind of way. You learn, you learn to deal with people that are really feeling emotional and, and know, I, I learned how to act under those situations. And, um, and I think the pictures that I've ended up with, I think, and you know, several of the pictures really, the, the emotion of the people really come through in their eyes. And the other thing that I learned was that you, when someone would cry, I mean, I've got photographs of when people are crying. Um, it doesn't look good. It, it doesn't look like something you can, you can look at. I mean, we can look at pictures of um, children crying. Uh, I can't remember what her name is, but an American um, photographer recently did a whole series of pictures of children crying. And... Um, we can happily look at that and I think it's because we see children crying a lot um, but when you see a, a, a grown man crying people just can't look at it they just look away and um, and they weren't there were for lots of reasons they didn't work the crying pictures of the of the adults so what I went for was the 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 second before they cried and because I was taking shots as I was going on so in many of the photos you see people who, who look like there's tears in their eyes but they haven't got tears pouring down their face that must have been quite, uh, well, it sounds like a very intense way of working. Mm. Did that affect the work as it was going along? Um, well, I, can't, I had to kind of hit the ground running. I had to sort of figure out how I was going to do it from the very first one so that the first one didn't end up looking dramatically different from the last one. And so the very f- the f- the, but the beginning, the, the way I dealt with it was that I would photograph the people quite a few times during the time I was with them. I'd photograph them in different setups and in different ways. And the first two or three people that I photographed, I, I spent all day with them and photographed them probably, you know, did their portrait probably six times over. But I learned in those ones what worked and with what order to talk to them about the things that we were, you know, the serious things we were going to discuss. And it was one of the things I really learned, which, which was fantastic once I, I sort of sussed it, was that... I needed to spend time getting to getting to know them, and that might. And one woman that I went to see, I probably spent four hours talking to her beforehand, like having a cup of tea and just talking about anything. And meanwhile, I was kind of figuring out where I was going to photograph in the house. And then, when you're doing that, you're kind of sussing out where you're going to take the pictures, and you also got to think that it fits in a style that you've already set. And then, um, I would light that area, and then I'd position her there, and then I'd say now tell me about what happened 
And so you would never, I, I realise that you must never let them tell you the story of what's happened until the camera's ready and you're ready. Otherwise, the story to you is not the first time you've heard it and they react differently to you because you've heard it before. So once I'd, once I'd realised that, it made the pictures get stronger and better. I was getting the emotions across that I wanted with less, um, less trouble. Because at the beginning, I was finding it difficult to get the emotions to show in the pictures. Because people that are in that situation, they're very much put up a barrier. They don't want, they don't want to, even though they might have agreed they're going to do a picture that's emotional and, they, and they're not afraid of it, they will still put up barriers to stop themselves showing it to a certain degree. And, and I soon sort of found the ways, you know, after about, by about a third person, I'd, I'd found the way I was going to work all the way through to the end. So how much time did it actually take to set up uh, a, an individual um, shoot like that I was trying to say a meeting because it sounds more yeah. like a meeting really yeah um, and I, I mean did you have them sort of planned on a calendar did it take the year to do them oh yeah I mean I I spent um, a whole year shooting the exhibition mm-hmm. and and I spent getting on for a year beforehand finding the people it was right that it was that amount of time it was uh, bearing in mind I did shoot the crash pitch as well and there was the seven crash pitches um, but it was the hardest part and the most time-consuming part was finding the subjects. I went to loads of different meetings of, of Road Peace, the charity that I, I teamed up with, um, and I'd listen to people talking at meetings. And at the end, I'd stand up and say who I was, and then say anybody interested in taking part in this project. And you'd be lucky if one person did. I must have asked well over a hundred people to to end up with um, fourteen. And um, um, but you can't, you know, you can completely understand it because you know. That these people have been through absolutely terrible, traumatic situations, and then you're asking them to sit in front of the camera and cry and be photographed crying. While you were doing these shots, I mean, were you still working commercially, or had you yeah. taken a lot ne- of time off? No, well, I was taking a lot of time off, but I was still working commercially, and that was oh, it was a terrible strain. You know, it's like I was doing really, really, really long hours and working through weekends, and and it it was a real struggle. Um, and I wasn't earning the money I should have been earning, you know, because I wasn't earning what I would normally earn. Um, so it was it was a lot of pressure. But at the end of the day, you know, I was very pleased with what I'd done. And I did feel like I'd achieved a lot. Um, and I guess if, if I'd known how far it was going to go, I, it would have cheered me up more during the process. When I was getting near the end of it, I was, I was getting really quite worn out by it. I mean, it was, you know, it was quite a depressing thing to do as well, because you're listening to like, all these people's terrible stories. And, and there's like the... There's like 14 people that are photographed, but I don't know how many terrible stories I've heard. You, you know, because people would tell you their story, but then they wouldn't agree to be photographed. You know, and, and some of the stories were so bad. They, I mean, and it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but some of the stories were so bad that they literally gave me nightmares. And you, and you, you know, that's quite, that was quite, um, became quite a big part of what I was thinking about on a daily basis. And so um, it, it was hard. And I think it did. It did create a bit of stress with my wife as well. My wife found me was, you know, saying to me, "We'll be glad when this is finished because uh, you'll get getting a bit grumpy." <laughs> <laughs> so um, you had a year of shooting and sort of uh, quite a bit of time um, beforehand preparing it. Mm. Uh, you've managed to get onto the course at Nottingham Trent. Mm. Um, and you had that mapped out and that came through and eventually ended up with the final show for the MA. Yeah, that's right. And that, that was quite... That was when the snowball started to roll, really, because 
they hadn't really seen the work. I mean, I, they, with the um, MA by project, you you present at certain times that if um, that they ask you to, and it's just end of first year, end of second year is the minimum that you need to present. And so at the end of the first year, you pre you just say I've done this research, blah 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 blah. There's nothing really to look at, and so you go through to the the, the second year, and it was basically like that. And so they didn't really know what they were going to get. They knew I was beavering away on it, and they knew they were going to get something reasonable, but they didn't really know what it was going to be like. I I think I had a very I'd been thinking about it for years before I started, so I was pretty I'd planned it over and over in my head what I was going to do. I had a very good idea of what I was going to do. So I think it pretty much went to how I was planning it. You know, and it, obviously it went much more much better than I than I'd expected, but. Um, from the MA front, I think it's got it's got some very, you know, very very positive aspects because there's there's the one of like you are running to a timetable and so somebody else is watching over you. So you can't you can't let a self motivated project just run on and on and on and on and on, which I had done for you with other projects that I'd done before the MA, um, and you also have to be able to justify what you're doing. And, and that's important because otherwise you can be, I think often with self-motivated projects, you can be totally self-indulgent, produce something that actually um, isn't very relevant to anybody and isn't that great. Um, and also there is a lot of advantages in that you can, you're a student, so you can approach people that you wouldn't have approached before and say, I'm a student doing an MA, can you help me? Whereas you, as a professional photographer, you get like zero help. And, and it's like when I did the crash pictures, I... I contacted loads and loads of different organisations and to do the crash pictures, and I did them on an absolute sort of uh, tiny, tiny budget. I think I shot seven crash pictures for one and a half grand, and you know you'd you'd be lucky to do one if you if you were doing um, the cost of one would be more than one and a half grand if you were doing it as a commercial shoot. So it's like this this huge huge advantages to going down that route, um, and I and I also feel that that the MA way of thinking. Um, you know, I didn't. The, the course that I did wasn't really a course in the sense I didn't sit there and go to lectures or anything. It was nothing like that. But at the same time, I was giving my development time. So I would go and look at different photographers that I'd never really thought about before and buy their books and check out things and spend a lot of time on that kind of stuff. And and it did completely alter my view of photography. And um, I realised that so much of what I'd been doing before was basically just you know, what I would call chocolate box pictures. They're just a pretty cover on something. And um, and then you realise that actually, you know, you've been striving for years and years to just do the, the prettiest picture, really. Beautifully lit, beautifully composed, but nothing really much going on for it, nothing much to say. And, and once you start realising that, it really made me totally change the way I did photography and everything that I shoot had to say something. And, and that it, it wasn't good enough if it didn't. And I think that you know that's I can only really put that down to the the MA was a kind of real crunch, a crunch moment for me creatively. So you've learned sort of something new about your own photography. Mm. Um, it sounds like you've learned a new business model through the event of getting the exhibition up and running and mm. getting your time paid for. Mm. Um, do you do you think obviously the uh, the photography has had a major benefit on the way you you know, look through the camera. Um, do you think the business model's had a major benefit as well? Is, is that something which you think is... You've got to find that unique viewpoint, if you like, for, for your photography. And that's really difficult because, like, you know, like, um, what's his name? David Hockney said that 
photography was a dead art because everything had been done. And I, I don't agree with that at all. I think that's absolute rubbish. But I think you can understand that viewpoint. People will think that because um, you see so much stuff just reworked and reworked and reworked. But I mean, you take like novels, for instance, you know, every, they, they said there's like there's only seven stories and they're reworked and reworked. But you, you can get something like Harry Potter come out where people queue for all night long to get it. And I, and I think the same with photography. You can, you know, portraiture is as old as photography. You know, you go, photography, portraiture, it was right back at the beginning when the very first things they did. And, and I'm just doing that again, but of a different, of a modern day subject relevant to people's lives now. And I, and I think, for me, I think what I, my style needs to stay as is something important to say about something that's happening now that is a current issue. So my portraiture or my way of, sh of shooting relates to an issue that's happening now something that is about 2007 it's not landscape um, you know in the pretty picture sense maybe I do a landscape that's some kind of urban landscape or something like that but it's it, it, it's taking a gritty look at something um, and it's like the, the picture that I did of the, the girl from Reading which was in the AOP Open the reason why I photographed her was because I thought she was following the Chav fashion. And that's like a really, you know, thing of the moment. And I wanted to do a portrait of a girl that was um, in the Chav fashion. And, um, you know, was... And so, somehow that portrait reflects modern society. But I didn't want to do it in a, in a grungy way. I wanted to do it in, um, you know, a very well-composed and atmospheric way. Um, so I guess what I'm doing is I'm kind of like taking my advertising commercial background, taking the bits out of it that I need and putting it together with the message that I feel is much more important messages than I had previously. I had no messages previously other than company messages. And now you're uh, actually making a statement with virtually everything you're doing. Well, I'm trying to, yeah. I mean, if I don't, I, don't really th I generally think that the picture isn't much good if it doesn't make some sort of statement. And, and people are getting interested in it and supporting it, and um, hopefully yeah. that's going to carry on. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. And the and the When Lives Collide project looks like it's going to become a DVD that's going to go all over the country to schools. Um, so you know, who knows where that will end up really in the end? I mean, I think if that if that kind of thing happens, there's a website of it that lots and lots of people um, um, you know are looking at at the moment. And I think for me that's really good that there's going to be thousands and thousands of people seeing those images. And that's like nothing else, uh, you know, other images that I would have done. Well, Paul, thank you very much. It's been great to talk to you. Good luck with the rest of the tour. I think it goes to Belfast next. Yes, it? that's right. Belfast is the last one. So it's been, a, you know, a tiring journey, but it's been good. And just to finish, let me tell you that the call for entries for the Sun Awards 2007 is opening on the 1st of May and it closes on the 30th of June. To enter, visit the website shotupnorth.co.uk.